Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. Choir, let's stand. Congregation, let's stand as we worship our Lord and learn Jesus shall reign where'er the sun. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows But seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his right. And all these things shall be added unto
Father and Lord God, we just praise you, Lord, for all that you are, Lord God, your awesome, almighty, sovereign God. God, we thank you, Lord, that we can already feel your presence in this place today, Lord. God, we just ask you to bless this service, Lord God, bless the reading of your word, bless the music and the songs that we sing to you, Lord God. May it all be just, a, a, just enough to just raise you up, Lord, and lift you up high this morning, Lord, and praise and honor and glory. God, we thank you for all you bless us with, Lord. You give us so much, Lord. We, we're not appreciative enough sometimes, Lord God, but we just thank you, Lord. We ask you to take a, just a portion of what we give back to you, Lord, and use it for your glory. We love you, Lord. We ask you to go with us now. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. next this next hymn is probably well I say this about every one of them they're always all my favorite but uh, man of sorrows what a name for the son of God who came ruined sinners to reclaim amen hallelujah what a savior Did you see? 
often, but thank you again, choir, Brother Jason, Miss Linda, Miss Belinda, Miss Amy. We may not have the largest choir in the country, but by golly, we've got one of the best. Amen. And I just want to, before we start, I want to point something out. I don't know if any of you noticed it, but I did, so I'm going to tell you anyway. And I've got the pulpit, so you got to listen. But in that, in that video, a tremendous opportunity to sing a song with an entire world of believers, to lift up our Savior knowing that, that while we may not understand what they're saying in Hong Kong, we know what they're singing because we're singing the same thing. And to know that we're all lifting up the same Savior on the same day singing the same song, that's one voice. And, and I'm not necessarily a Bible scholar, but my studies of heaven tell me that that's kind of what we're going to be doing for eternity is lifting up the same Savior in the same voice. Now, the beauty of it is we're all going to get a new song and a new name one day, so we won't be speaking in different languages, but we'll all be lifting up the same king. But I noticed something. 
And, and if you get to watch that video, if you want to search out global hymn sing videos when you leave, watch it and see if what I'm telling you isn't true. If you looked at the churches in Singapore and Hong Kong and Japan uh, and, and, and Germany and some of those countries where they're not as free to worship as we are, I want you to just look back on those videos and notice that there was not an empty seat in the house. Those people were coming out to worship Jesus in a country where they're not allowed to do that the way we are. And, and as people in the good old U.S. of A., we ought to be ashamed. We ought to be ashamed that we don't value worship the way that sometimes they do in some of these other countries. And I'm just going to leave it there. There is no reason we should not be as excited as they are to come. But if you look at those videos, you'll see they pack. Now, maybe I realize maybe they videoed the, the most full churches in Singapore. Maybe they had to search it out, but I don't think so. I don't think so. I think you'll find that they are so in tune with just coming to worship Jesus that they've forgotten to get mad at each other about some silly little thing to go start a new church somewhere else. They've just decided we might as well get over it and just work with Jesus together. So I pray uh, that we'll have that similar mindset. But this morning, we come to a text in Matthew chapter 6. And uh, this is, to the best of my knowledge, only the second time in my time here at Rocky Valley that I've preached a text a second time. I preached this particular text on a Sunday morning a few years ago. Um, and I try not to go back, but inevitably in the way things go, sometimes the Lord says you weren't done with that one just yet. Uh, and so we'll be back in Matthew chapter 6 in verses 25 through 34. And the title of the message is The Faith That Doesn't Worry. Now, the reason that we're back in this text is because uh, all year long we have been talking about how this can be our best year of serving the Lord ever. How can 2018 be my best year ever serving the Lord? And we've looked at several things that we've said we need to grab a hold of. If we're going to serve the Lord in 2018 and, and look back and say that was our best year of serving the Lord ever, there are a few things that we're going to have to grab a hold of from Scripture. But just as important as grabbing hold of the truths of fasting and prayer and, uh, and of putting Jesus first and of honoring God and obedience, just as important as all of those truths that we have to grab a hold of, sometimes Scripture points us to let go of some things. Sometimes Jesus uses the text to explain to us that if we're going to be obedient and we're going to follow him and we're going to serve him in spirit and in truth, there are some things in our life that quite honestly we're going to have to leave at the altar of God. We're not going to be able to take them with us because it's baggage that will bear us down, hold us back and stop us from true worship of Jesus. And Jesus in his sermon on the mount gives us a glaring example of the fact that if we're going to call Him Lord and Savior, it means we have to depend on Him not only to save us from our sins, but to sustain us for every moment. Think with me of this hypothetical scenario. Your boss sends you an email on Friday afternoon and asks to see you on first thing Monday morning. You notice on that email that the human resources officer is copied in that email that he sent to you. So he wants to meet you Monday morning and he wants HR to be there at the, at the meeting. Your worry level goes to about a one, doesn't it? But in the break room, after you've read that email, you hear coworkers saying that the company's going to be laying off 12 employees. Your worry level slides up to about a two. When you get home, you tell your wife about this meeting and that you have no idea what it's about. And before long, you've both decided that you're already being fired. And your family spends an entire weekend worrying about how we're going to make it without your income for a little while. And spends no time together. By Sunday evening, your worry level has climbed to somewhere between three and four. You walk into work... Your boss has sent another email to the whole company that explains that there are many changes come the coming days, and they're going to begin that morning. And suddenly your worry level has reached what I would call DEFCOM 5, because you've got a meeting with the boss and HR, and changes are coming. You've spent all weekend being sure you're fired. Can you see that scenario with me, how your worry level can climb and climb 
and climb, even though you have no idea what that one meeting is about. But lo and behold, you walk in the meeting, your boss in HR explained that there's some restructuring, and you've been selected for a promotion. You're now going to be in charge of a whole new division of the company that's coming down, and it's going to begin this very day. And it turns out that you've spent an entire weekend worrying about nothing. An entire weekend worrying about nothing. You, you spent time with your family that you've lost. You can't get that time back. Time that you should have been enjoying your children lost because you were worrying about a, a firing that never took place. And my friends, you've basically spent time worrying about something that you couldn't control anyway. You couldn't control what was going to happen at that meeting. If you were getting fired, you couldn't do anything about it. Now, I know that's a silly little example, but it is so applicable in so much of our lives that whatever the situation may be that runs your worry level to five, the real silent killer is not the cancer. It's not the debt. It's not the marital problems. It's not the stresses. It's not the addictions. It's not the, the whatever the thing that is causing that anxiety. Really, the, the silent killer is kind of the stress and the worry and, and the tension that we will label as fear this morning. The fear is what really gets it. Now, some of you... Uh, more sanctimonious and holy folk here. If you've been in church long enough, you have learned not to label it as fear anymore, but you've gotten classy enough that you've been able to learn this phrase. I've got a burden. Any of you ever have a burden? Well, this morning we'll call it fear. Jesus he calls it worry, and he has a few things to say about it in his Sermon on the Mount. So please stand and hear from Jesus Christ our Lord, from Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all his glory, he was not arrayed like one of these. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you, little faith. Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let us pray, Father God. God, we pray that we would glorify and honor you in the next few minutes. God, let everything said, everything done be of your truth. God, any spirit that's in this place that ain't your Holy Spirit, God, would you please bind it, gag it, and remove it. That your people would be able to worship you fully. God, do a work in our lives. Draw us closer to you. Help us to leave behind the things that would hinder our service to you. And Father, we will praise you and give you the glory that you so deserve. And it is in your precious name that we pray, as all God's people said. And you may be seated. We're going to see a few things about fear in our response that Jesus gives us here in his Sermon on the Mount. And the first thing that we're going to see is that fear is a response of faithlessness. Fear is a response of faithlessness. It could be said that all faith is fearless faith. All faith, by definition, is fearless because fear and faith cannot coexist. Three times in this text... Jesus says, do not worry. For that reason, I say to you tonight, when I have fear, when I have fear of the future, when I have fear of the unknown, my friends, I have committed a sin of faithlessness. You see, the problem with fear is that it is a response that shows that we, we don't trust 
God. It's a problem with distrust, really. In verse 30, Jesus says a statement at the end when he says this, Oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. Stated simply, when there is a challenge in our lives. Think about this with me. When something comes up in your life, when there is a a problem or a burden or a fear or an anxiety or a situation in your life, you have two options, and that's all you have, really. You have two options. You can either fear or you can trust God. Think about that. When something comes up in your life, you have but two things you can do. One, you can worry yourself to death about it, or two, you can trust God. Consider the lily. That's trusting God. Let's look at some biblical truth that shows us what I mean about a spirit of distrust. Now, you don't have to turn there. If you want to write them down and look later, you can, but we're going to go through these these pretty quick. Look at at 2 Timothy 1 and 7. We see that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power. It says he has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power. So fear does not come from God. In 1 John 4, 18, the Bible says that Jesus casts out all fear. Matter of fact, it actually words it like this. It says perfect love cast out all fear. But what's perfect love? Jesus. So 1 John 4, 8 says that God is love. So think about with me. 1 John 4, 18, perfect love cast out all fear. 1 John 4, 8, God is love. 2 Timothy 1, 7, God does not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power. If you put all of those things together, what we see is that God does not coexist with fear. God doesn't coexist with fear. Why? Because perfect love casts it out, and God is perfect love. So if you live with God and you trust in God, you cannot coexist with fear if you're trusting in God. It's impossible. Why is it impossible? Well, what is it that we fear often? We fear tomorrow, don't we? Don't we sometimes fear, what's going to happen tomorrow? What about the future? What's going to happen in the future? Well, my friends, God cannot be troubled by the future because he is what we call omnipresent. That means he's already there. He's already seen it. He knows what's going to happen. He can't be troubled by what he knows is going to happen, can he? He's omnipresent. Not only can he not be troubled by tomorrow, friends, he can't be troubled by the unknown, unknown because he is omniscient. That means he is all-knowing. So not only is my God all-present, but my God is all-knowing. So he cannot be troubled by tomorrow. He's already been there. He cannot be troubled by the unknown because he knows everything. But my friends, when you grab those things and you put it in the fact that my God is omnibalevolent, that means his love is constant, it never fails. You say that I have a heavenly Father who is everywhere and knows everything and he loves me always. How can I be possessed with a spirit of fear? Whom shall I fear when I know that my heavenly Father already conquered it all? He's already seen it all. He already knows it all. What in the world can I be worried about? But my friends, my God is something else as well. He is not only omnipresent and he is not only omniscient and he is not only omnibenevolent, but my God is omnipotent. That means that no matter what may come my way, he is all-powerful enough to handle it. He already saw it coming. He knew what was going to happen. He's already been there, and my friends, he's already defeated it. Now, that's pretty good news if you ask me. Every parent here will understand this example. If anything happens to one of my children to hurt them, it will happen because it overpowered me first. If anything happens to one of my children that hurts them, it will be because it went through me to get there. Think about that. You have a father who's not surprised or overpowered by anything. What can happen? What can happen? He's not going to be overpowered. He's not going to be caught off guard. He is to be trusted. You see, worry is also distracting. Look at verse 25 with me. We've got a whole laundry list of worries that he mentions. 
what we eat, what we drink, what we wear. What are those things? Those are food and clothing. And really, what God is telling us in those verses is don't be distracted by these worries. Don't be distracted by these anxieties. Don't be distracted by food and clothing. Why would you be distracted by something like that? Don't be taken by a spirit of anxiousness, captivated by things outside of your control that really don't amount to a heavenly hill of beans. Being distracted can take us away from what we are supposed to be and pull us off of an ability to function for the way that we've been made. Let me say that again. And let me put it in terms that we use now. I'm sorry. Being overcome with anxiety. Being depressed. Being worrisome. Being captivated by another spirit. Can take us away from what we're supposed to be. Has anybody ever been anxious? Can't function, can you? All you can focus on is your anxiety. You ever been depressed? Can't function. All you can focus on is your depression. You ever been caught worrying about something outside of yourself? You can't function as you were created to function because all you can dwell on is what you can't control. And we don't function the way we've been made. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not talking about a justifiable concern. If your wife calls you and says the car caught on fire, you probably ought to be a little bit concerned. My first question would be, did we remember to pay the insurance? And then I would say, did you get out before it caught on fire? We ought to be concerned with our health. Given this season that we are captivated in, if you have a fever of 102 and you keep coughing, you ought to be somewhat concerned with your health. And you ought to stay out of the house of the Lord. Worship on the porch. We'll open the door. You ought to go to the doctor, okay? There are justifiable concerns. Families on the brink of splitting. Addictions on the brink of overcoming. Jobs on the brink of being lost. There are things that you should be concerned with. So how do we determine the difference between a legitimate concern and a sinful worry, because that's really where the question comes in, isn't it? Brother Jason, you tell me that there are things that I'm going to be concerned about, but then you just told me that I shouldn't worry about anything. That seems contradictory. Well, let let me tell you the best way that I came up with. Concern, legitimate concern, is something that's right in front of you. You can touch it, you can feel it, you can talk to it, and most importantly, you can do something about it. That's a legitimate concern. If there is something in your life and you can do something about it, do something about it. That's called preparation. That's called intelligence. And that's called depending on the Lord for wisdom to discern what you ought to do. But my friends, if it's something that, 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 that you can't control anyway, you can't change the outcome of it, not one hill of beans, you can't do anything to change what's going to happen, then that is sinful worry. Worry is something that's way out there, and whatever I do now doesn't change it. It's going to be what it is anyway. One thing that I would define as sinful worry in our culture that we spend a lot of time doing is worrying about what in the world somebody else thinks. Did you know that regardless how hard I try, I cannot change what Brian Kemp thinks? I have tried for years. Can't do it. So why would I worry about it? It just consumes me and takes me off of what I was made to be. I heard a a preacher say one time that in this life we have many problems. A few of them we can actually do something about. Think about that with me. In this life we have many problems, only a few of which can we actually do something about. And when I spend my time distracted thinking about things I can't control, then I have committed the sin of faithlessness. And I'm not doing what God created me to, to be. And another problem with faithlessness, though, is it's a picture of defeat. Look back at, uh, back at verse 24 with me. I know we didn't lump that one in there, but just for context. What does Jesus say? He says, nobody can serve two masters. He'll either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. 
cannot serve God and mammon. You either serve God or you serve the world, and it cannot be both ways. And he comes out of that and he says, therefore, don't worry. Now think about what he said. You'll either serve me or or you'll serve the world. Therefore, don't worry. And what he's really saying is if you love God, don't waste your life worrying about things of the world. And if you love the world, don't waste your life thinking about God. Because you cannot serve them both. You cannot sit serving God and calling God your father and spend all your life worrying about the world. Why? Because it's the world. It's outside of your realm. You serve a God. And you cannot spend, if you're in the world, you cannot spend your life worrying about religion. That's my friends, it blows my mind. It absolutely blows my mind for somebody to stand and tell me that that I'm an atheist, I don't believe in God, or I'm an agnostic, I may or may not believe in God, and then to see them spend all their time trying to tell me why I shouldn't believe in God. Friend, if you're in the world, don't you worry about the things of God. You let me serve my God. I ain't told you to quit not believing in God. Don't tell me to quit believing in God. Leave me alone. Let me worship him. If we get to the end and I was wrong, at least I had a good ride serving the Lord. But my friend, if we get to the end and you was wrong, woohoo! I'll take my chances with Jesus. You cannot serve two masters. You're either going to be serving the Lord or you're going to be serving the world. But what do we do if we spend life captivated in worry? We show a picture of defeat to the world. And Christian, what does that look like to our Great Commission? If we are supposed to be captivated by the Holy Spirit and therefore not caught in a spirit of anxiety and we spend all our life, it's supposed to be a picture of of being captivated by Christ and we're supposed to witness to someone. What witness does it show the world when we say, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today, but oh my gosh, I don't know what's coming next. An unbeliever would look and say, well, you don't have much of a God there if you're still captivated by anxiety. Why would I worship that risen Savior? Heard a story of a pastor who was caught in a state of discouragement. And his wife came into his office dressed in black, head to toe. And she said, there's a funeral. And he said, well, who died? And she said, God He said, woman, God's not dead. And she said, I couldn't tell it by the way you're acting. How many pastors and church leaders and church people have you ran into that spend their whole life going, oh, I don't know what we're going to do. How many pastors say, well, I mean, I I felt like God was calling us to do this, but then... Oh, Sister Miranda, she crossed her arms and looked at me funny, and now I'm just, I'm worried she's going to get mad at me. My friend, if God said do it, do it, Sister Miranda, get on board or get off, I don't care. If God said do it, my friends, I'm going to do it. And I'm not going to be captivated by a spirit of anxiety. I'm going to be captivated by a spirit of obedience. Why? Because if I'm obedient to God, He's already fought my battle for me. But if I choose to go on my own, good luck. Good luck. So faithlessness shows a spirit of defeat. First Peter 5 and 7 says, Cast your cares upon him, for he cares for you. But fear also does something else to us. It also results in fruitlessness. Living in fear is like walking on a treadmill. It gives you something to do, but nowhere to go. Some of you will catch on to that later. Those of you who haven't been to a gym, look up treadmills on the internet. You'll see what I'm talking about. Verse 27 says what to us? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? Some will say it can add an an hour to his days. The principle of the verse is the same, however it translates. Worry cannot add an inch to your height, and it cannot add a second to your life. Think about that with me. Can't add an inch to your height or a second to your life. If worrying could make you tall, I would be a giant. I believe worrying probably has the other effect from a health standpoint. But basically you could say that worrisome fear accomplishes nothing. Accomplishes nothing. 
stops you from showing the fruits of the Spirit because you're showing a fruit of anxiety. And you know, I've been convicted in some ways that I've developed a spirit of fear in my children under the pretense of good parenting. I'm going to tell on myself a little bit. Friday was a beautiful day, amen? Lord, God blessed us. So my family on Friday afternoon decided to take a walk. The kids rode their bikes. We put the baby in the stroller, and we took off. The kids rode their bikes over in the parking lot. They played on the playground, and then we decided to stroll down Old Murfreesboro Road. And when we did, I said, you can't ride your bikes. you got to walk. You might lose control of your bike and slide out in the traffic because the traffic's bad on Old Murfreesboro Road East. You got to walk, you got to walk, you can't ride your bike, you need to walk, I can't control it when you're on your bike, I need you to walk, I want you to keep your hands on the stroller. Now we've got a lot of kids, I get it, we've got a big stroller, but they still can't fit on the stroller. So I inevitably had to get the oldest one and I said, listen, you're the sacrificial lamb, you don't keep your hands on the stroller. If they got more than eight feet from the stroller, I said, hey, you slow down, come back here, get back, get on this side. There could be, a, there's a car out at the rock quarry now. He may turn down this road. We never know what's going to happen. Casey, you're too close to the middle. Pay it. And by the time we got to, to that side of the road and started coming back down this way, Liette looked at me and said, you're worse than I am. Stop. <laughs> and you know what I said? What's the matter? You worry about whether they're going to choke on a Frito. I'm talking about them getting run over by a car. If they choke on a Frito, I can fix it. I can't, I can't stop a car. I ought to be worried. And I don't even think my kids had a good time. They were running as fast as they could to get back away from me. Now I know that's a silly little story. Silly little story, but think about it with me. I took an opportunity to enjoy God's creation with my family, and I spent my whole time worrying, and I put a spirit of fear in my children. You ever notice that sometimes your kids are afraid to do things, not because they're afraid to do them, but because you were afraid to let them do it, and it rubs off on them? When is the last time that you read the tragic story of the kid that died running with a pair of scissors? I cannot tell you the last time that I've been called to the funeral home. Brother, you work in the funeral home. I thought I spent a lot of time in the funeral home. This man spends more. When's the last time you had to console the family and, and you said, oh, if you'd only made them wait the full 30 minutes after eating before they got in the pool? <laughs> Been a long time. That just don't happen very often. Now, I'm not advocating careless living or bad parenting. But when we live our lives in a state of constant fear, we can't accomplish a stinking thing. Can't get nothing done. Why can't I get nothing done? Because I'm worrying. Why am I worrying? I don't know. I'm not saying don't think about situations, but I'm saying if you spend your life in a state of fear and a state of worry, my friends, you don't only show that you don't have any faith, you show that you don't sow any fruit. And what is the worst thing as a believer that we could look back on our lives and say? It's that I didn't sow any fruit anywhere I went. I didn't show the love of Christ anywhere I went. I didn't show that I believed in a risen Savior who loved me, who sought me, who bought me, who died for me, who sustained me, who carried me, who was there for me. No, instead I worried my whole life away. What a tragic life that would be to end and say I sowed. No fruit because I showed no faith. So first we see that worry is a response of faithlessness. Worry results in fruitlessness. But friends, worry is a revelation of forgetfulness. It's a revelation of forgetfulness. Seven different times in this text, Jesus alludes to this question. Have you forgotten? Or don't you know? Seven times in these short texts. Now I believe there are three things we would do well not to forget. And the first is that we need to remember what God has already done. 
I've done this before, and we'll do it this morning too, because it, it always works out no matter who's here. Show of hands. Is there anybody in here who has come to a place in their life where they weren't sure they were going to make it? Come on. If you're being honest, we've all faced a sickness or a family situation or a job situation. We faced something where we weren't sure we were going to make it. Can I let you in on a secret? You're here. You're here. That means you made it. This isn't the first crisis in your life and you're here. Remember what God has done. If we look back and we say, God, you've been with me every day of my life. You know what God would say to us? He'd say, I was with you before that. I was with you before you was born. When Moses talks to the Israelites about taking their future possessions, he calls them to do something. He says, remember what God has done again and again and again. And so for the child of God, it would be good that we occasionally go on a little trip down memory lane before we move forward with faith. It could very well be that this situation that you're dealing with, rather than pulling up your bootstraps to move forward, you may need to sit down and look backwards and remember what God has done. Because he's always been in control. He's still on his throne. And he's not going to stop taking care of you. We see three witnesses to this testimony that God is providing for his people. The first is the bird of the air. See, look at those birds. They don't get complacent and useless, but they're not starving to death. Because God provides food every day for them. How many dead birds have you ever seen on the side of the road and said, poor guy starved to death? And if he will feed the birds of the air, will he not make sure that you're fed as well? Look at the lilies. He says, look at the birds. Now I want you to look at the flowers. The flowers, they don't weave any fabric. They don't sew any adornment. They don't put together anything. And yet, if you look at them, they are the most beautiful things in the field. Why? Because the Heavenly Father has already provided for them. And if He will provide for the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, will He not take care of you? And look at the grass. The grass... In, in that time, as Jesus was sitting, giving the Sermon on the Mount, I can't help because I've got ADD and in the week I imagine things. And when I imagine Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount coming to this phrase about consider the grass, I just in my mind see Jesus and he probably said, consider this grass. And there was a field that they could see. He said, consider this grass. Now in that time, the grass in that region would grow today and then the winds would shift and blow in a massive heat and everything would scorch in a moment. And so the grass that you saw today could very well be burned up tomorrow like it was in a, a furnace. But, but what does it do? It comes up anyway. Comes up anyway, even though it has no idea what the wind's going to do. And God says, will he not take care of you? Should we not follow that same pattern that we would come up understanding that God is going to provide for us? And so we do well to remember what God has done. But my friend, we would do well to remember what God will do. Look at verse 33 with me. Seek ye first the kingdom of God as righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. God has promised to deliver all these things to you. What does all these things mean? It means that God has provided everything you need. Everything you need. I didn't say everything you want. Why? Because we have fleshly desires and we want things that we shouldn't want. So God didn't provide those things for us. But he provided us everything we need. And if we could ever get our fleshly desires in line with our spiritual Christ, then we would have everything we wanted as well. But we want things that are not heavenly. And God provides us everything we need. Seek him first. That's what that means. Seek him first. Quit seeking yourself. Seek him first. And everything that you want will be added to you.
everything. In 1893, Elijah Hoffman, a Baptist preacher, he visited an aged member on her deathbed. And as he tried to find the words to console her, all he could come up with is take your sorrow to the feet of Jesus. The woman got a distant look in his eyes and the pastor, as I can only empathize with him, thought what a cliche comment that I just said to a dying woman. All I could come up with was take your sorrow to the feet of Jesus and he thought I'm, I've really blown it in this opportunity to minister to this woman. But she turned to him and said, that's it. I must tell Jesus. Elijah Hoffman returned home and he penned these words. And please forgive, I don't sing on key, but I can't say these words and not sing them a little bit. He penned these words. I must tell Jesus all of my trials. I cannot bear my burdens alone. In my distresses, he kindly will help me. For he ever loves me. And cares for his own. And I must tell Jesus. I must tell Jesus. I cannot bear my burdens alone. I must tell Jesus. I must tell Jesus. Jesus can help me. Jesus alone my friends if you have worry and you have fear and you have anxiety and you've come in here shackled by a heavy load and you've come in here wondering where I'm going to go or what I'm going to do or why am I so captivated by this you know what you must do you must tell Jesus because you cannot bear these burdens alone so in a moment when we have a time of response you're invited to this altar to lay your sorrows at the feet of Jesus. That's all your anxieties. That's all your worries. That's all your sin. That's all your shame. Why? Because he is omnipowerful. And whatever you're dealing with, he's already dealt with it. Let's pray. Father God, God, we come to you. And we thank you that we have a heavenly Father that we can share our burdens with. And according to your word, you are faithful to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that means that God, even that sin of faithlessness that we experience when we dwell on what we can do instead of what you have done, God, you can forgive us for that sin as well. God, in your house this morning, with this number of people here, I am keenly aware that there are people who came in here with burdens, Lord God. Some put on a smile, but they're burdened in their soul. God, would you give that person the courage to come and lay that at your feet and realize that they're not the only one here with a burden. God, I'm also keenly aware that in a room this size, there's someone who's always been captivated by, by a spirit of fear. Someone who spends their whole life in a spirit of anxiety. God, that faithlessness could be a sign that they don't truly know a Savior. So God, would you give them the courage cry out to you and say, Father, please save me. God, whatever you do in the house this morning, we will give you the glory for it. And it is in your precious heavenly name we pray. Amen.
Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.